on May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. This episode is brought to you by AARP. 18 years from tonight, Grant Gill will become a comedy legend when he totally kills it at his improv class's graduation performance. Knees will be slapped. Hilarity will ensue. That's why he's already keeping himself in shape and razor sharp today with wellness tips and tools from AARP to help make sure his health lives as long as he does. Because the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org slash healthy living. Hello, this is Virginia Heffernan, and welcome to This is Critical, where we examine all our assumptions about culture, like that wearing nothing but a fabric called tensile, that's what they sell at MeUndies, from head to toe, that that had to end with the first shot of the vaccine. No, your pandemic clothes are still allowed here. You know, those ones made of clouds sewn together with vapor and held up by gentle elastics. You can wear those all the way through Omicron and beyond. When this holiday season comes around with all its hallmarks of hallmark, I find myself rereading a New Yorker article from a few years ago by the great Sarah Larson. It's about how Hallmark took over cable TV. And Sarah claims that Hallmark had both leaned into Christmas and leaned way, way into straight marriage while claiming to avoid politics. And that has been its ticket to dominion over everyone. And it's true that Hallmark consistently ranks as one of the top 10 cable television networks in America. And when their famous countdown to Christmas starts, hoo boy, they generally hit number one in at least a few primetime slots. I have to say I'm new to this. When I hear the word TV, I think Netflix. And when I hear cable, I think news. So I've been blind to this Hallmark phenomenon for ages. In fact, I had started to forget there was any TV outside what I binge on Netflix. Disturbing subtitled thrillers in Finnish, where the murderer always leaves a spooky little figurine made of chestnuts near his victim. Or, of course, over on cable, there's Tucker Carlson, braying at whatever. But Hallmark has been chugging along, even as many of us have been blind to it. And it has spread its very specific genre even to Netflix to give people a break from Chestnut Man, Good show, by the way, with its barrage of twinkly Christmas movies about good-looking middle-class white men and women in exactly the same income bracket and personality bracket who defy absolutely no odds by falling in love with each other and getting married. So how can Hallmark compulsively reprise the same formula year after year with frugal school play-like production values and a palette of honey and glitter how can this hedge of monotony hold the keys to rating success? When don't we all want to just be at each other's throats like regular good American citizens since 2016? I don't know. But the ratings of the Hallmark Channel speak for themselves. 
While the higher-minded among us have been trying to cool off the tempers of the citizenry, and I think the current president even ran on the idea of turning the heat down, the actual citizenry have quietly found some cortisol control on the Hallmark Channel. In warm platonic living rooms decked with holly, in gentle repartee, and of course, in good old boy-meets-girl romance with its boring pronouns and no Omicron terrors and no Twitter. There's only one man I trust to be honest about the Hallmark Channel. David Roth is best known for his swashbuckling work on sports with The Defector. He's a satirical writer you might not want to meet in a dark alley if you had lame opinions about something. But I discovered another side of him the last time we spoke about politics. David is the savant of the Hallmark Channel. He now co-hosts a podcast with the journalist Jeb Lund called It's Christmas Town, which has recapped and dissected more than 100 Hallmark Channel movies. David Roth, welcome to This is Critical. Hi. How are you? I'm good. All right. Before anything, I want to see what you think of my idea of the philosophy of Hallmark movies. I want to try it out on you. They're a little like the It's a Wonderful Life version of capitalism, where, you know, you do well by doing good and you rise together. So you start a little bookstore that competes with a big box bookstore. And because you're so good to your customers and so kind and generous and you know about books, your bookstore thrives and the big box, cruel, faceless one goes out of business. I don't know if that's anti-capitalist, but maybe it's like a kind of hyper-faith in capitalism, at least not a rapacious capitalist version of the world. What do you think? Yeah, I think that that's like, that's a good point in the sense that like, there's, so if there's a politics to Hallmark movies, like there's not like a, a coherent critique or even like an actual critique of like what the free market does to people, the pressures it puts on people or whatever. And yet there is also this other thing where they're like, you know, you work too much, like you need to take more time to like try to be happy, like like money isn't everything, your job isn't everything. And so, like, in the ones where they bother to, like, actually engage with that stuff, it's clear that the the general direction of it is, like, towards hearth and home and away from career stuff. And because they often have, like, women in the leads, it, it's like there's a part of that that plays really retrograde and, like, sometimes even backwards, you know, where it's like this woman's got a good job in the big city, but what she really wants to do is, like, move home and literally live with her parents again and, like, manage a Christmas tree farm with somebody. And that's, like, in some ways, like, there's just as somebody who's, like, you know, my mom always worked when I was a kid. Like, I don't, like, I see that stuff and I'm, like, the fuck out of here. Like, that's, you know, it's not 1951. And even in 1951, this only worked for a certain, you know, group of people, right? And yet, like, I still kind of appreciate the idea that they're, like, allowing for the reality of, like, a division between, like, what you do to make money and then what you do that makes you happy. I feel like that that's, like, not even in a lot of this stuff, you know, in terms of, like, mainstream cultural stuff. Yeah. I mean, most of the time on screen, you're seeing people do non-remunerative activities. Yes. So, like, at least there, this is not, like, a Tim Ferriss productivity, you know, kind of right. thing. And um, there's a lot of excess generosity, there's mm-hmm. not, a, it's not a, a, a ledger that's like, you did this for me, so I'm doing this back. There's a lot right. of spontaneous giving. That's how people wind up being good a lot of times is these people, these, you know, harried big city people wind up in a small town and like someone gives them the best cocoa they've ever had. Yeah. 
And then they're like, it's on the house. And they're like, what? Yes. And that's like sort of awakens something in them. And then they're different. Yes, yes, yes. And I love that that tiny change the characters go through and that I go through when I listen to your podcast and that I definitely go through watching these shows. Wait, speaking of your podcast, I got to ask you a question. Haven't you ever believed in something magical? <laughs> All right. I'm asking it this way because you ask your guests this way. You play sometimes a little clip from yeah. one of the Hallmark movies, and then you force your guests to answer, so I'm doing that to you. Haven't you ever believed in something magical? All the time, Virginia. Thank you for asking. I think I have. I mean, it depends how you want to define it. I mean, I think certainly, like, in terms of believing in jinxes and, you know, like, omens and all of that, like, absolutely, I look for it. I have a lot of, like, little weird lucky numbers and stuff in my life. Oh, yeah, me too. In, ter in terms of, like, the Hallmark version of it, I mean, the idea, there's like two versions of believing in something natural in the Hallmark universe, right? Like there's one where it's like an angel played by a veteran character actor literally sets it up so that you wind up falling in love with like a soap opera actor. And I don't, that's not been my experience. That's never, I mean, I just had like meeting my wife and being lucky enough to stay together with her. But I've always felt like, I guess like the idea of things being auspicious one way or the other, like getting a sense of something and getting you know, of it maybe auguring well or bad. Yeah. Uh, some of that, I think, just comes from being a sports fan type of dunce. And then some of it, I think, is also, uh, I don't know. Like, I guess that that's, like, the the furthest in the two, you know, actual, like, supernatural or, or even, like, faith stuff that I've allowed myself to go. Okay, so back to the Hallmark Channel. Normally, you write about sports and pop culture with a lot of irony and satire and wit. But now with your podcast called It's Christmas Time, you're doing something um, different. Yeah, but basically it's like you're this is all very nice ways of saying that I'm like a lot of my writing is mean to people that I don't like. Right. And in the Hallmark universe, there is nobody that you don't like. And also no one is mean. And it's just such a it's like it's just the part of the reason that you and I started talking about this is our la the last interview we did on my last podcast was about mm -hmm. the impeachment of Donald Trump surrounded by figures that have no place in Christmas town in a Hallmark universe. <laughs> um, but when you enter into what you all call Christmas town, it's just you forget entirely that side of life. Yeah, it's and I think that Hallmark and I'll give them some credit on this because like part of for this podcast, uh, I, Jeb and I are like, maybe we've watched 100 movies at this point. It's like, it's too many. Like, yes. it's the sort of, like, that's not what Hallmark movies are, or how they're made to be watched. Like, we watch them and we take notes and we try to organize our thoughts and stuff. And the ideal version of watching a Hallmark movie is that it's like, it's on in the background while you're talking to a grandparent. Yeah. And like, maybe it's snowing outside or something like that. You know, it's, but it's it's ambient. It's not the sort of thing where you're supposed to be like watching it and you're sort of like, oh, I think they broke the 180 degree rule or like, <laughs> oh, that's a weird transition between these two acts. Yeah. Like you're taking it more seriously than anyone involved is. I mean, it yeah. just does the same thing over and over again. Um, yeah. Although it's nice in some ways. It's like the uh, there's like a Robert Frost thing about like writing poems that isn't in meter. And he's like, I would, you know, I would know so I'd sooner do that than play tennis without a net. Oh, yeah. And it's like and in some ways it's like that's. It's grandiose when he says it. It's ridiculous that I'm roping this into the Hallmark universe. But it is like when you appreciate that all of these things have to unfold along the same formulaic lines, you really notice the grace notes, like where they actually get it right. Yeah, yeah. You notice it more because you're like your brain is attuned to like there's a turn coming and then it happens because it always happens at yeah. the same time. 
And then you're like, oh, well, well done. Coming up after the break, in the eyes of an expert, what makes a bad Hallmark movie good? On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. This episode is brought to you by AARP. 18 years from tonight, Grant Gill will become a comedy legend when he totally kills it at his improv class's graduation performance. Knees will be slapped. Hilarity will ensue. That's why he's already keeping himself in shape and razor sharp today with wellness tips and tools from AARP to help make sure his health lives as long as he does. Because the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org slash healthy living. Back to This is Critical. My guest today is David Roth, whose day job is as a sports and pop culture reporter, but by night, he watches the Hallmark Channel, studying and analyzing more than 100 Hallmark Channel movies. So, David, you mentioned the 180-degree rule earlier, and for non-cinephiles, that's where cameras are supposed to say on one side of an imaginary line between two characters in a conversation— And also you say that Hallmark channels violate some of the other kind of technicalities of good television. Can you describe a Hallmark movie that is actually well-made, though, like technically good, and tell me why it is? One of the ones that we gave a five-star rating, and it's like, it's well done, but like the name of the movie basically feels like they weren't really trying to come up with a movie that people would watch. Like, it was just something that you'd put on it while you're shooting it, and then later on, you would be like... So this is called The Mistletoe Promise. It's from 2016. <laughs> yep. And the, our leads are, you know, they're terrific together. The, it's basically like, uh, you know, you're going to pretend to be my boyfriend so that my boss thinks that I'm uh, promotion material type stuff. Congrats. You're up for partner. Time to bring out that new girlfriend you were just telling me about. But you don't have a girlfriend, Nicholas. Christmas rarely goes well for me. You should start a club. What if we made an arrangement? We could attend events together. I could distract you from your ex-husband. I'll drop a contract. What about promise? Mistletoe promise. I like it. Oh, yes. I think, yeah, I think that people do a lot of pretending to be another person's Significant other. So much. Yes. <laughs> Which has if it was never happened popular, in real life, but definitely yeah. happens on the Hallmark Channel. Yes. So Jamie King and Luke McFarlane are our leads in that. And it's this is, again, another weird thing. Like, one of the hazards of things like these is if um, there's too much chemistry between the actors, because then you're like, oh, man, these people, they, they kind of are, like, wanting to smash. And you don't want them there because it's creepy. It's, like, voyeuristic. But it's tough because these stories are so predictable that they kind of live and die on the talent. I think that for me, what works when these work, that it's usually a matter of the chemistry that the actors have. And I think that that's the part that, um, you know, casting helps. Like there's more and less uh, good actors in the Hallmark universe. And there's some of them where it's like, 
the actress Alicia Witt is like a special favorite of mine. And she's not always good in Hallmark movies, but she's a very good actress. Yeah. And so there's times where like her character is supposed to cry or whatever. And she's like a good enough actress that she yeah. cries very convincingly. Oh, right. Yes. I remember her from it's the David Lynch version of Dune in the 80s and also Friday Night Lights more recently. But the thing that makes these movies work or not work is how well those actors, the, the leads really play off each other. And when it works, I mean, there's certainly actors that I think of as being more or less good within the Hallmark universe just because of that, that they seem convincingly to enjoy conversations with the you know person that they're acting against. Weirdly, an actress that I thought, she only made a couple of Hallmark movies, but one of the best Hallmark performers, obviously she's got other things going on right now, is Meghan Markle. And she was really great, just really natural. And it was, it's that type of actor that I think really works there. Uh, Like somebody that maybe has had a lot of character parts on television or that is like just, you know, there's actors that are able to hit like sort of higher register notes. Like Nicole Kidman would not work as well in a Hallmark movie as uh, Marissa Tomei would or something. There's just some people that seem more like people that you might have a conversation with. One of the things that amazes me the most about Hallmark is they have such a huge viewership. It's like the silent majority of cable viewership. I mean, Hallmark's bigger than FX, AMC, the Food Network, Bravo, MTV. Um, And it's not just one-off Christmas movies that are a big deal for Hallmark, but there's like a big hit series that just packs in the ratings called When Calls the Heart. I told you I would wait as long as I had to. You were ready to leave. And that would have been the biggest regret of my life. You're all that matters. I don't, I've never watched When Calls the Heart. It's the one part of the Hallmark universe I have not really uh, explored in any meaningful way. I like the word, like it's not when the heart calls, when calls the heart. It's perfect. It's so, it's like ornate in a way where it's like, it sounds like a pilgrim talking. Like it's not really (laughs) like, especially the beginning of a Longfellow poem. When yes. calls the heart, shall it be heard? Yes, but it's like, is this, like, was that ever idiomatic English? Like, the show, you know, is set, it's like Canadian frontier people falling in love and stuff. Like, it's oh, unreal. Right. Like, and they, it's got a little house on the prairie vibe where they're, yes. like, strong survivors who have, like, a warm fire at the end of the day. We watched a movie recently for uh, for Christmastown with Linda Holmes and Tara Ariano, two uh, people that I admire greatly, that was basically... It was, you know, set in Hawaii and it's like a classic Hallmark thing, you know, like she's too nervous and he's too reckless and together they learn to fall in love with each other or whatever. But the movie was, it was like two of the sort of the ensemble cast of When Calls the Heart. And it was basically a fan service movie. It was like these two people that are a couple in the show and they were like, what if we just sent them to Hawaii? and had them fall in love for two hours. Do you think people would like that? And the answer is like, yes, millions of people watched it. Like, they really wanted to watch You Had Me at Aloha, despite the fact that it was called You Had Me at Aloha. <laughs> and it's like, I find that really gratifying in some weird way. Like, it wasn't totally for me. Like, I didn't come into it. I had never seen either of these actors before. Like, so I was less delighted when they like, you know, one of them falls into each other's arms. But presumably, if it's the sort of thing where like, if you're deep enough in the Hallmark universe that these people are basically like Tracy and Hepburn to you, yeah. then like, yeah. that's great. Like, oh, you yes. are probably delighted to see them together. And from what I understand, the Hallmark universe is actually a pretty nice place to work for an actor. Yes. Apparently, like, working on a Hallmark shoot is actually, like, 
it's a just a really nice way to make a living as a working actor yeah. if you can manage it. That like it's humane hours, like the pay is decent, and like you know it's not great or whatever. But most of these people are not like turning down like a role in The Irishman so that they can go to like Scarborough, Ontario, and share a chaste kiss with someone at the end of a movie. Like, but for people that like would ordinarily be like working in TV or like in character parts, getting to play lead parts, any of that, like. It seems like they've sort of figured something out. Like, a lot of people watch them, but also, like, it's not exploitative somehow. Yeah, It seems like the one field where it's not. There is uh, a real relationship between these movies and the origins of the Hallmark Company and the greeting cards and so forth. How do you respond to, you know, sort of the fact that the Hallmark Corporation is being promoted here on the Hallmark Channel. I I don't want to know what Hallmark or Crown Media, like what they like. Like it's clear that they're fairly conservative. The only political stance that they're quoted on is that they're uh, very broadly pro-animal adoption, which is, I guess, maybe the most, and I mean, I so am I. I feel like almost everybody is, you know, but what they do in terms of how they actually promote their own shit and it's like, they obviously the stuff is pegged to the holidays, right? And so I think there's probably some sense in which like you don't make four months a year of Christmas movies if you don't think it's going to help you move Christmas cards and Christmas ornaments. But they also, again, this is kind of the fun of it, like with Hallmark stuff, even as someone who mostly likes the movies at this point, there is like, there are moments where they just absolutely go oaf mode and are like, showing you in the like gauzy Barbara Walters filter close-ups like someone hanging an ornament on a tree or like placing a locket around someone's neck and you're like I get it man <laughs> like that's enough yeah the funniest though is that they lately and I've noticed a lot of like network stuff does this now too or at least like I remember like NBC did it a lot they will have uh promotions with existing brands from like the real world and they'll have them in the show where someone's like, wow, I really like your like Aerostar van. And they're like, yeah, it has one of those cameras for when you're backing up so you can see what's behind you. And they're like, what a great idea. And the door and, and they're sort of like <laughs> and you're aware briefly that you are in like a fully diegetic commercial for an actual product. <laughs> and it's always yeah. a little offensive, but they're so oafish about it that you're kind of like, all right, well, like I could either fast forward through this or I can just grip my teeth while these people talk about Werther's original for another 15 seconds and then it's over. <laughs> Those but things it's, are good, it's the though. same sort of deal. Yeah, they are. They are good. Unfairly uh, associated with reactionary grandparents. They're for everybody to enjoy. They're, t- they're t- totally for uh, from the cradle to the grave, Werther's. Yeah. But we have a segment on the podcast called the, the Swagony of Defeat. When the stuff shows up like too like dramatically, we always make a point of it in the notes and try to talk about it because they're like there was one recently, otherwise a very likable movie uh, that was I guess, Alexander Breckenridge and the god Robert Buckley, who was in iZombie, which is a favorite show of mine. Oh, And again, another guy that like just he's not Canadian, but he's like like all the Canadian casting directors have his phone number. So he's just around. Very likable, uh, very handsome, very funny guy. And that movie was called Love in Store. And it was set at like a, like a home shopping network type channel. And it was generally a decent enough rom-com, but every now and then they would take a break to talk about like a convection oven. It's convection, yes. But wait, there's more. It's also a toaster roaster air fryer. Look at that crispy bacon. Mm. And I Googled all the 
products afterwards. And like, it's a real conviction of it. Yeah. If they hadn't cast Robert Buckley in it, I probably would have resented it more. But he's just so charming. That is the truth of all this. It's just so charming. <laughs> if, you're, if you're willing to like lower your standards that much to the point where you don't mind being pitched to, if it's like an actor from a WB show that you used to like, then like, yeah, there you are. <laughs> After the break, could politics or even psychology be driving people to watch the Hallmark Channel? On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. This episode is brought to you by AARP. 18 years from tonight, Grant Gill will become a comedy legend when he totally kills it at his improv class's graduation performance. Knees will be slapped. Hilarity will ensue. That's why he's already keeping himself in shape and razor sharp today with wellness tips and tools from AARP to help make sure his health lives as long as he does. Because the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org slash healthy living. Back to This is Critical. Today, we're investigating the Hallmark Channel with self-proclaimed expert David Roth. So one of the biggest complaints people have about the Hallmark Channel is that it's pretty committed to a certain Christian holiday. With movies full of straight, monogamous white people, that vibe is pretty much a politer version of Fox News where everyone looks the same, but they're nicer. And the viewership demographics bear this out. For the TV season of 2016 to 2017, the top three scripted shows among white cable viewers were Hallmark series. But Hallmark didn't crack the top 10 for black households and only had, I think, one show in the top 10 for Asian and Latinx households. And a 2018 study found, predictably, that the Hallmark Channel was one of the most popular networks with Republican voters— but still, it's not exactly Fox News. No, I'd say the, the idea of, of a place where everybody meets or can sort of be together is to me like it's the opposite of where like uh, certainly of where Fox has been for a long time. But I think in general of where like the conservative discourse is going, which is this like war of all against all, like super wary, super like paranoid and like really like constantly being told that like it's all fallen apart. Like, it's all ending. Like, you need to, like, get ready for, like, not for, like, anything as exciting as the rapture, just for, like, war. Yes. Like, constant cultural war and carnage. Yes. And then Hallmark is basically, you know, calling you home to, like, put on, like, weird, whimsical pajamas and eat, like, too much food with your family. Like, both of those are are fantasies. Yeah. But it's very easy to see which one of those is, like, more appealing or would be like more deranging to someone over like a course of prolonged exposure, right? All right. I read a study. This is a producer. Harry is great with the studies. I usually I try I try not to link my studies nor to refer to where they came from. I just mm. conjure them out of thin air. But I swear to you, there was a study that said 
people tend to believe they have more friends and more support if they watch television with kind of recurring motifs and recurring characters. Yeah. Um, so pe- uh, people like Friends, people watch Friends. That was the example that shows how long ago it was. Or, I mean, I feel like Friends is roughly as popular now as it was 20 years True, ago. True, you're right. So. so maybe this was two weeks ago. <laughs> so fr- if you watch Friends, uh, somewhere deep in your cells, you believe you have friends and it leads to a greater sense of contentment, less cortisol. And people say, likewise, people respond to panel shows on MSNBC and on on Fox, and they feel like they, more than any information, they just want to be with those friends who are fellow travelers in a certain idiom, even if that idiom spikes cortisol, makes you hate the other group of friends, but you just feel included in a, you know, sharks or jets. Yeah. It's it's that's an interesting question. I certainly like I absolutely believe um, this study that definitely exists. Like it passes the smell test to me, like just in terms of like to talk to my parents about the television that they watch, which a lot of it now is is like cable news stuff. It's the same sort of thing where they're like, oh, my friend is telling me for 30 minutes every night something that makes me feel like I'm losing my mind. Yeah, But it is like it's your friend telling it to you. Right. Hallmark Channel is definitely doing something to my hind brain when I watch it a lot. At like, I just feel like I am in a different world. Like, I just, I feel yeah. like I fit in. I have friends. There's always enough cookies, that kind of thing. And I, I'm telling you, some happiness project person needs to talk about watching this a lot. I mean, has it changed you? I guess that is my, that, you know, and, and how does it make you perceive the challenges of life in any different way? I think that watching these movies during that period of really intense, alienating uh, pandemic stuff. So the, you know, spring of last year, as sort of summer turned to fall and fall turned to winter, and there was no vaccine and no necessarily end in sight at that point. And, you know, whatever, the whole rest of the the world was on fire and, and at each other's throats and stuff. I did find an escapism in watching the Hallmark movies that I hadn't, I think, found before. Like, some of it, I guess, was in how, like, consequence-free and gentle it all is. You know, as, like, your grandmother, you know, would passing her standard of, like, conflict-free, like, sort of just everybody kind of being nice to each other. Yeah. Like, it made for a nice counterpoint with literally the entire rest of the world as I was perceiving it. But then I also came... To sort of like enjoy, I think, like that, the the really like elementary way in which like Hallmark movies have people drawing close to each other or like being kind to each other or whatever. Like, I guess there are still rom-coms getting made, although I think there's fewer of them now than there were 10 or 15 years ago. Like studio wise, I don't think there's really nearly as many of those coming out, are there? Uh, A, aren't no movies coming out, and B, right. <laughs> aren't no movies doing well, especially genre movies. Like, they, yeah. it's just uh, Space Jam 2. Right. I mean, that's what's weird. Yeah, so it's like pre-existing IP, yeah. and then, uh, like, whatever, two or three original projects per year, all of which are kind of like sequel bait and stuff. Like, I miss, I mean, those were the movies I grew up sort of watching, was like, just brought not rom-coms necessarily, although I saw my share of those. But just like genre stuff where you're kind of like in a familiar milieu watching things happen more or less as you expect. Some of it was watching the movies and some of it honestly was was talking about it with with Jeb for the podcast that like I think because that's my friend. And then also, I mean, in, for the, the reason that, you know, I think you were mentioning that people like to watch 
other people, you know, be friends on television. Yeah. That I think that, you know, I used to talk about movies with my friends all the time when I saw my friends. Right, <laughs> and like, right. And for that year, I really didn't, you know? And so being able to do even the, like, silliest simulacrum of that was, like, really gratifying, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Did yeah. you find the, a different experience during that period, too? I haven't really talked to anybody but Jeb about this, but watching them in that that sort of space of anxiety. Did you appreciate them more? Or did you feel them differently? There's so, always, there's strangers who meet and touch. And since mm-hmm. hospitality and touching was so vexed and almost murderous right. during the pandemic, it just seemed wonderful to think that there would be a time when, you know, a man might lift my chin. To the, you know what I mean? <laughs> and like, and stop there. That's it. That's the whole thing. Yes, yes. Exactly right. No, the, right. That's the, the base before the game even starts. <laughs> I was going to say, it's, it's basically uh, like a Strong, strongly struck third base in uh, Hallmark Universe. <laughs> that's, oh, a that's, facial touch from a soap that's opera. That's true, actor. exactly. Don't even think about the eyelashes. <laughs> um, and we had to be home, so it the, that focus on on going home also felt like you're, you know, a place where you might be safe. And I was also obsessed with decor during it because, you know, we were inside yeah. so much. Um, and obviously they're always decking the halls in the Christmas shows. Also, so many interiors. Um, it feels like you, you know, sometimes when I when I tried to watch, you know, foreign thrillers, I just was, you know, thinking, I don't want to see Paris or, you know, things I would have yeah. to go on a plane. Um, I just want to, I want other people happy sitting in their house um so that that also really really helped yeah the bleakest version of that rewiring that i experienced was watching a hallmark movie otherwise very mediocre one called love in iceland okay for the podcast and they actually went to iceland to shoot it like they shot some exteriors there they do this like every now and then and it was like the movie was as rote as hallmark movies get which is to say extremely rote but like when we were talking about it, like it soon became clear that what like Jeb and I like we were like we liked when they were outside, like we liked when they went for a walk, <laughs> you know, like it was like really the most rudimentary pleasures imaginable. But like it still worked because it was like scenery I hadn't seen before. Yes, yes, and also come on, snow, snow. They yeah. they have to make more snow. I think they have like a serious piece of the made snow. Sometimes I feel like Eugene O'Neill plays dominate the fake whiskey business. Yes. Um, and the Hallmark right. Channel definitely <laughs> keeping has. The, keeping the Martinelli's company alive. <laughs> totally. Yeah. That's... But this is, I think that's absolutely true for Hallmark movies. I draw, a, you know, I have sort of a continuum in my mind in terms of like how much they bother trying to make the fake snow look real. Oh, yeah. Because there's some of them where they really, really do not care or where they're shooting and it's obviously like, 78 degrees and they're making poor like <laughs> autumn reeser wear a ski parka for verisimilitude reasons and it's like <laughs> right and it has to it can't ever melt on your coat it has to like no. lightly sprinkle everything to your eyelashes and so if they're not taking the time to make flakes that ever melt then yeah. they really are just going for effect i mean it, it it's a lovely thing to watch i i love that I think they're better than meditation apps. That's that's gonna that's my I just I feel more relaxed, more equanimity, more hope, um, and also a kind of catharsis with the tears. Yeah. No, I mean it's it's weird that I guess this is true of all, you know, cultural products that we consume that re- like if it resonates with you, it resonates with you, but it's strange. I don't fight it or like deny it anymore. It's weird that stuff this bad uh works as well for me as it does because a lot of it really is still pretty bad 
But like it does, you know, and like I'm past the point where I need to be like only like in my uh, sort of long lifelong process of getting over myself. Like it doesn't need to all be Godard. Like I never felt those as deeply as I felt like the sort of like weird adult gratitude at being like, oh, they're letting Amy Acker act like she's wanting to kiss this guy. Thank you. Like it was like a more of a, like where you know where the, the goalposts are, it's easier to tell what your what game you're playing, I guess. Thanks to my guest, David Roth, for helping me see the light that is the Hallmark Channel, the Twinkly Light. His podcast about all things Hallmark is called It's Christmas Town. He also co-hosts a show called The Distraction. If you're more into sports than love. That's it for this week's show. Make sure you don't miss next week's episode by following us or subscribing on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please take a minute to rate and review it in Apple Podcasts. No joke, it helps other people learn about the show. It really helps. For more information and to keep tabs on us, follow me on Twitter at page 88 and at this critical pod. If you have a question or a cultural creed you think deserves another look, send us an email at thisiscriticalpod at gmail.com. This is Critical is made by me, Virginia Heffernan, and Stitcher. Harry Huggins is the producer with help from consulting producer Tamika Weatherspoon. Tracy Samuelson is our editor. Brendan Burns mixed this episode and composed our original theme. And Josephine Martirana is our executive producer. Thanks for listening and stay critical. Stitcher. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Cheers to a great day and this ice-cold Corona. You know what would make this day even better? My grandma's carne asada. Throw in some music. We can watch the game. Or we could keep it simple. Corona. La vida más fina. Get your Corona at ordercorona.com. Relax responsibly. Corona extra beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois.